Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello, and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, the Federal Reserve just isn't messing around anymore. This week, the central bank raised its benchmark interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point. That's the biggest increase since 1994, way back when all my hair was still brown and I was just a cub reporter covering school boards and car crashes at a newspaper. And while markets initially reacted positively to the Fed's aggressive inflation-fighting efforts after the decision on Wednesday, well, something resembling a car crash broke out the following day with both stocks and bonds tanking violently. We'll be joined by a chief investment strategist to dissect what is freaking out markets and what it all means going forward. But first, Vildana, uh, I have to say, I I think regular listeners of the podcast know that I I can't resist a good gimmick, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. And and my latest gimmick was that if we got more ratings and reviews uh, on the show, I think I I said if we got to 300 that we would reveal your your high school nickname. Mm Um. What I did not anticipate is that in in those ratings and reviews, you would receive a, a, a an actual marriage a proposal. A marriage proposal, yeah, I in, saw that in, in the uh, in the Apple uh, podcast reviews. Uh, I accepted, news, by the way. You accepted, yeah, you did. But no, you're I'm already married. <laughs> I didn't accept. <laughs> I did, I don't know who it is because they I think they posted under uh a, a, like a username that is, isn't their name. Yeah. The bad news for that listener uh, is, I'm sorry, Vildana is already ha- happily married. And and furthermore, Vildana will not even allow me to join her professional network on LinkedIn. Uh, so I don't, I think your chances of, of getting uh, a marriage proposal accepted through the comments on Apple Podcasts, while I admire the effort, you know, it, shooters got to take their shot. I, I, I do not suppose uh, this one will be accepted. I went on LinkedIn. After you called me out for not accepting you, and I had 158 yeah. invites, so you're not alone. I I accepted one of them, like you it was somebody them. I really liked. Yeah, just one of them. Okay, another yeah. Bloomberg reporter. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, this is going to sound like sponsored content from LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm not even really a big LinkedIn guy. I just check my my notifications <laughs> to see if anyone's yelling at me or complaining about something. They probably are. But I was like. I was like, someone tagged Veldana, and I go and I look at Veldana's page. It's like, oh, second. I'm a second. Yeah, you're I'm not like even runner, first. You're not. I'm first. like a runner-up member of your uh, of your professional network. You know who's first in in, in the first tier? Our guest. Our guest this week. 
Well, well, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) But I do want to bring in Anastasia Amoroso. She's the Chief Investment Strategist at iCapital. Anastasia, thank you for joining us again. Good to talk to you with with you, Mildana and Mike. And Mike, I would be happy to accept you as the first connection on my professional network. There, you can have one friend. That's fantastic. You're you're one one friend. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Anastasia, you've been on the podcast before. You actually have changed jobs since the last time you were on. So I was hoping you could just sort of start out telling us about your new role and your new shop. Sure. Uh, well, I am a chief investment strategist at iCapital. I uh, have enjoyed from JP Morgan actually about a year ago. And, you know, iCapital is really the global alternative investments platform. And we are on a mission to make it easier for more and more investors to access alternative investments. And, you know, this year in particular has been a case in point why it's so important to think beyond the 60 40. You know, I wrote this outlook in the beginning of the year that called for higher hurdle rates and lower or potential returns. And I don't think any of us would have guessed that the hurdle rate was going to end up being 8.6% inflation and the returns for the 60-40 um, you know, just got decimated. So this is why at iCapital we focus on things like private equity, private credit, real estate, and uh, increasingly allocating to digital assets as well. So, you know, my role as a chief investment strategist is really to to help investors understand what alternatives are the right ones for this particular part of the business cycle. You know, Anastasia, I want to get your thoughts on all this recent market action, but um, just to follow on that notion of, of how you're sort of interacting with clients these days. I think it was an interesting period uh, after the financial crisis, and we just had this almost uninterrupted uh, bull run in equities. Um, it seemed to be almost, uh, maybe this is over uh, dramatic, but almost an, an existential threat to the, the hedge fund industry. You know, the, the line just kept going up. Um, all of the sort of the best strategies started to become turned into factors that you could use in, in ETFs and, and passive, passive vehicles. But I do feel like this nasty market action this year um, sort of flips the switch a little bit, tur- turns the the narrative back. Um, and, and hedge funds, you know, while we certainly see a lot of headlines about some that are struggling uh, in aggregate, I, I you know the indexes I looked at they are outperforming pretty significantly. Still not you know up a lot for the year, but losing less from from a sort of an aggregate index level. Has it sort of revived the demand for for hedge funds, particularly uh, based on on what you you talk with with your clients? It absolutely has, Mike. And this was part of our outlook as well, as we anticipated this being a much much better environment for hedge funds that would get clients interested. And the reason for that, I mean, you said it spot on. For the last ten years, I mean, really, all you had to be is risk on for the most part, with a few exceptions. And you buy the dip along the way, but uh, mostly if you were invested in stocks and high yield bonds, you probably did just fine. So. You didn't actually need hedged equity in your portfolio. You didn't really need, you know, relative value trades and so forth. But that changed dramatically this year. And we anticipated this year to be a year of higher velocity and higher volatility. And boy, do we get it. And so that's what I think has been so narrative changing for hedge funds is all of a sudden there's equity volatility to trade. There is fixed income volatility to trade. There's a lot of macro factors are in the driver's seat. So if you look at the hedge fund performance, Mike, you said it, but the overall hedge fund HFRI indices, for example, they're outperforming the market nicely. But even if you further dissect within that, the global macro funds are doing really well. And within that, you know, you have some really top quartile winners that are really attracting client interest. If you look at relative value hedge funds, arbitrage strategies, um, all of those are delivering uh, above market returns. And also quant. Quant is actually working this year as well. So I do think in this environment where nothing seems to be working, investors are looking for something that is. And right now, that is in the hedge fund space. And Anastasia, just to bring us back to the big event this week, which obviously was the Fed, I actually was super excited for uh, the Wednesday presser because, you know, we we were all having this debate about whether or not we were going to get 50 or 75. And we had some people calling for a 100 basis point hike. So can you just lay out for our audience what exactly happened with the Fed this week, what, what we heard from Jay Powell? 
Yeah, well, even what happened earlier in the week is we got a massive pivot from the Fed during the time when this was supposed to be a no communication time frame. And we got a pretty strong hint that they're going to go for 75 basis points. And, you know, in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense because the problem with inflation for the Fed right now is they can't just focus on the core because the headline inflation, the higher gasoline prices, the higher food prices, that's what's driving consumer sentiment. And that's what's driving consumers' expectations of future inflation. So as those expectations surge, the Fed had to react to it. So here's my couple of takes on, you know, what do we think now that they have Hike 75 basis points. You know, first of all, we did anticipate this meeting to be a hawkish one, and it definitely, definitely was. But I don't think we can say that it was a hawkish surprise to the markets. And you saw how the markets initially reacted uh, to the path of increases. The reason I say that is a lot of the pricing, market pricing, was already in place before that meeting. And if you think about what the markets have been pricing in through February of 2023, it's close to 4% uh, in the Fed funds rate. So I think a lot of that uh, rate increases was already baked in. And that's perhaps why the Fed was emboldened to do this. But my other takeaway, not a hawkish surprise, but I think a pretty significant move towards restoring the Fed's credibility. I mean, when you look at 8.6% inflation or 6% core inflation, and you if you look at the Fed funds rate, we were far, far, far too low. And the Fed needed to catch up very badly. So I think the fact they're acknowledging it, they're doing it, they're moving it is actually a positive for markets because we feel like the Fed has maybe regaining some control. And then the last thing I'll say about this, the reason why the equity markets have been so tough this year is because it was really hard to gauge the Fed reaction function. They say they're trying to be balanced one week, and then they say, oh, we're going for 50 basis points. Now we're going for 75 basis points. So you got whipsawed by this Fed communication, but it seems like they're giving us a more explicit reaction function. The focus now is on headline inflation. If it surprises to the upside, should expect a more aggressive path of rate hikes. And if it doesn't, perhaps they can pause. So at least we know that now. And, you know, perhaps it's little consolation to the markets per se, but at least it does restore credibility in fighting inflation. But isn't there a big risk that it just doesn't work, you know, that these supply chain issues continue and that oil continues to climb higher? You know, uh, Russia appears nowhere near ready to capitulate in that war. Um, and, you know, it, what's the risk there if to the Fed's credibility and the, and the markets in general, if, you know, they keep hiking and inflation stays at, if not as high as it's been, still well above target? Well, Mike, there's plenty, plenty of risks, right? And, you know, one yeah. of the immediate risks is if you look at uh, U.S. gasoline prices, you know, the price you pay at the pump, you know, close to five today, I think it goes, it could go to six over the summertime. And frankly, there is little the Fed can do about this. There is even little the Biden administration can do about this, because the reason why that's happening is it's not so much about the oil supply demand imbalance, but now it's about the lack of refining capacity to actually get enough gasoline on the road. So the Fed can't fix that. And, you know, they tighten policy, but are people really going to drive less? Probably not. You know, the Fed cannot. So, so the risk is that oil prices and gasoline prices may have to rise higher than lower. They have to rise to the point where they start to destroy demand and then they subside. You know, the other risk is uh, with food supply shortages. Again, that is not something the Fed can fix. Uh, we know the bottlenecks that are coming out of Russia and Ukraine. So there's plenty of risks, but the bottom line, and I think that's why the Fed has been getting more more aggressive here, is they're trying to control what they can control. And that is the core parts of the inflation. It is wage inflation. It is slowing down the exuberance in the tech sector and the crypto sector. Uh, it is about slowing down housing. And boy, with rates you know close to 6% uh, on 30-year mortgage rates, it's probably going to do it. So they're focusing on the core side of the equation. So perhaps they can counterbalance the headline that they really can't control. So so if you had to sort of handicap the probability of a quote unquote soft landing, um, you know, in other words, the Fed manages to bring down inflation without triggering uh, a recession. Where do you stand on that? What do you what do you think their odds are of uh, actually being able to pull that off? 
look, I think we have a chance. And perhaps that's a 50-50 chance at this point. And I say that while the markets are really not seeing it this way now. They're now pricing in close to 85% probability of recession uh, based on the S&P 500, based on the credit spreads. But when you look at the economic indicators, that same implied probability of a recession is about 43%. But I think we have to give ourselves a chance here. And I want to draw some parallels to 1994 that... At the 75 basis point rate hike, you know, that had aggressive moves higher in rates. And yet, if you look at the GDP uh, during that time frame, it didn't actually go negative. It slowed down from 5% to up 2%. And that's sort of what the forecasts are calling for now. You know, we're going from 2.7% GDP this quarter and next to maybe 1.7% next year. Is that a recession or is it a soft landing? You know, there are, of course, many ways to define a recession. And, you know, some people think of it in terms of sequential slowdown. But I think a more proper way is to say negative GDP growth and several quarters of it. And I don't know that that's exactly where we're headed, because what really takes to cause a true deep recession is a lot of imbalances. I think back to the financial crisis. We had the mortgage debt. We had the consumer debt. We had the corporate debt. We have had the financials levered up. And we had all the CDO squared. And when I think about those counterparties today, we don't have the same degree of imbalances. So that's why I'm still in a camp of a slowdown for sure, but perhaps not the imminent recession. I know that after the Fed meeting, I had read a bunch of notes that that were sort of looking through Powell's comments. And a lot of the takeaways were that some of the stuff he he was saying was a bit contradictory. So we got the comments about the next meeting, the July meeting, could be either 50 or could be 75 basis point hikes. So how, how do you parse through this and how do you make sense of it? Like, what is your your takeaways in terms of some of the contradictory things that we did hear from the Fed this week? Really tough to admit for anybody, for everybody, including Fed Chair Powell, but we don't have a crystal ball. The Fed does not have the crystal ball on inflation. And I think we have all collectively, as investors, as policymakers, we have capitulated to this view that we just don't know what the next inflation print is going to look like. We cross our fingers, we hope it's lower than it was the month before, but the reality is we don't know. So the reason why, you know, perhaps you have this, I mean, I call it choppy and a little bit sloppy policy from the Fed is because they truly don't know. Um, but they are preparing the markets for you know the potential for 75 basis points. I think that's constructive because that's what's becoming uh, priced in. But here's what I'll say, Voldana, is when you look at the equity markets and you have a Fed that doesn't have a crystal ball and they're having to adjust to the ebbs and flows of inflation, that's going to create for this lack of predictability and as you know, that's not good for markets. That's an environment in which the markets struggle. And that's why it's so hard to make a call on any sort of bottom. And it's so hard to make a call on any sort of buy the dip for this tactical short-term rally. It's just not the environment we're in today. Uh, you know, Anastasia, you mentioned that notion of uh, 60-40 being under so much pressure this year, you know, both both stocks and bonds uh, just having an awful year. I, I looked at the Bloomberg Treasury Index. I think it's basically the worst year the treasury markets ever had, you know, uh, but has this correction or bear market in both asset classes sort of made 60-40 look, look attractive again, do you think? Or is there still worth trying to, to shoehorn in some alternatives into that space? Well, I, I think the answer to that two-part question is yes uh, to both of those things. I do think that we're approaching some interesting levels on both stocks and bonds. And we're not calling bottoms here. But one thing that we can say we're now excited about in this environment, you can actually get paid in the safest of assets, which is the AAA rated U.S. Treasury. You can get paid 3.3% on a two-year Treasury note, give or take. You know, if the terminal rate does, in fact, go to zero, you know, maybe the yield does inch towards zero. That's exciting. When was the last time you could get that safety asset? Um, it, with that sort of yield. So in this environment where investors crave certainty, crave safety, uh, I think it's a really interesting thing to be adding back to your portfolio in, in terms of 40. Um, on the equity levels, I, I think 
at some point, you have to wonder if enough has been priced in as well. I don't think equities are screaming by yet, and I'll explain that in just a minute. But if you think about that, 85% of the recession probability has already been priced in. So even if we do have a recession, we've priced in a pretty good chunk of it. So perhaps you may be able to step in and add incrementally. Um, for, in order for it to be a screaming buy, I think we do have some further room to go in terms of multiple correction. You know, we're at 16 times forward earnings. We probably have to step it down to 14 times forward earnings. And assuming the earnings hold 235 on the S&P 500, that gets you to about 3,200 on the S&P. So we could still take another, you know, 12, 13% lower leg from here. So at that point, that would be a screaming buy. But the bottom line, the answer to the first part of your question is, we are approaching some interesting levels in which you may want to add back to the 60 and the 40. But the other part of your question, is this still a good time to be an alternative? I mean, frankly, I think it's always a good time to be an alternative because you just have these extra levers to pull. Um, we talked about hedge funds and how, how they are delivering value in this environment. But think about private credit. If you look at private credit, most of that is floating rate. In an environment where the Fed keeps on hiking and hiking, that's the place you want to be. And then the thing that I really like about credit is it's illiquid, which means it doesn't trade on technical market dynamics. So when dealers pull back the inventory and you have a number of sellers in high yield and leveraged loans, that's not the case in private credit. So as a result, you end up with a much smoother path of returns in private credit versus, let's say, high yield. So I think that's still a very interesting place. In private equity, I would say, you know, for vintages that have been invested in the last couple of years, of course, this is going to be a tough environment for returns in, in the next couple of quarters or maybe a couple of years as the valuations subside. But if you are a new investor in private equity and if you are allocating fresh capital now, guess what? That's going to be deployed at lower valuations that we're likely to see over the next couple of quarters or a couple of years. So I think a lot of investors should be thinking about this as an opportunity to commit that long-term capital now to invest it later at those lower valuations. So I definitely think there's room for both. Um, you know, not quite declaring the market bottom here, not quite saying equities are cheap, but I think a combination of all of those stocks, bonds, and alternatives, that's what makes it for a better outcome. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, speaking of declaring a market bottom or not, I know you had sent us some notes before we started the podcast, and I just want to read one of the quotes. It says, at current levels, we would not be meaningfully increasing equity allocations until we have seen more evidence of inflation slowing and economic slowdown flattening out, and importantly, the Fed shifting its hawkish tone, which to me, it struck me as sort of these things sort of being a really long time off. So if if somebody wanted to deploy some some cash right now, what would you be telling them like in terms of where to put it? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, a really long time. It, it's interesting. That comment is interesting. And, you know, things tend to move quicker in these markets than they have in prior years. So I could actually see a scenario that over the next quarter or two, we could be on that you know, other side of a slowdown and on the Fed that is pausing. I mean, if you think about just basic GDP forecasts for this quarter and next quarter, we're anticipating 2.7%. By Q4 this year, that's going to step it down to 1.7%. And that's sort of what the Fed expects for next year as well. So by Q4, we might actually have seen a slowdown in growth. We might have seen a flattening, a plateau of growth that would cause the Fed to peer back some of that hawkishness. So you know, I think this is a week by week, one month, month by month situation, and perhaps this is not actually years in the making. But I'll also say that the time you want to deploy capital is when it feels terrible to do so. And if you look at the percentage of you know bearish surveys out there, you know that most investors feel pretty terrible. Just look at consumer surveys as well, and. So I think you can step in incrementally. But one thing that I really like doing right now is pick your favorite ideas in equities. Maybe it's, you know, the cash flowing, you know, digital transformation type stocks. You know, maybe it's some of the winners of decarbonization where you have a clear path to profitability. Pick your favorite spots and see if you can utilize the options market so that rather than just going all in and being long from day one, you know, maybe you sell a put and you collect that premium that gives you a little bit of buffer on the downside. You know, maybe you use that, you know, put option premium to buy a call option. There's really interesting ways to structure different payoffs that are not just one-to-one on the market. And I think that's a better risk-adjusted way to enter some of these positions, given that we still can't quite call the market bottom yet. Speaking of uh, interesting way to structure uh, payoffs, uh, Anastasia, I, I assume you must get peppered with questions from clients about crypto and you know where that fits into sort of a multi-asset uh, allocation strategy, uh, that type of thing. You know, how are you thinking about crypto these days, uh, both as an asset class itself, and but also how it sort of fits into the the larger ecosystem, you know, is some of the weakness in stocks related to crypto or is the weakness in crypto, you know, related to stocks? How are you thinking about, you know, where crypto fits into sort of uh, modern markets? Um, And, you know, it just really feels like a falling knife right now that, um, you know, the the people who warned that it was the Dutch tulip uh, bubble of the the 1700s, I feel like are probably taking a big victory lap right now. I mean, is it that dire? Was this just a, a manic cheap money bubble uh, that's that's going to disappear now or, or or what? How are you thinking about crypto, I guess, is yeah. the, the way to summarize that 12 part. 20 minute question. question. So 20 minute question just to get to that one point. <laughs> it, it, it might be a 20 minute answer because there's just so much to say about crypto. I, I promise it won't be a 20 minute answer. Uh, but but I will say that. For a while, let's give Bitcoin a little bit of merit for being an inflation hedge. I say that because when inflation was rising and the Fed was doing nothing about it, of course, Bitcoin was the place that people wanted to go. But now that the Fed is doing something, doing quite a lot about inflation, you can't make that argument about that being an inflation hedge anymore. So then you refer to the other side of the coin, which is that is 
technology. It is innovative technology and it is unprofitable. So this is why you look at how all the crypto ecosystem has been trading. It's been trading in lockstep with the NASDAQ and specifically with the unprofitable tech. And so that's why you're seeing this breakdown of momentum to the downside. And until the Fed pauses, until we have, you know, kind of a cap to the move higher in rate, you will continue to see pressure uh, in crypto. But here's what I also say. And I was at the consensus conference in Austin um, last week. And one of the quotes from one of the panels was that make sure that you're in crypto for the mission and not the money. And that really struck me because there is so much speculative froth that has been accumulated in crypto. And I am so, so glad that that is being flushed out as we speak. That needed to break. That needed to be out of the system. But what's left is there is a significant utility function to blockchain technology. You know, can you build better decentralized application for lending, for market making, uh, you know, for transaction settlement, for digital privacy? The answer is you probably can. And many innovative technologists are working on this. So there is a big uh, mission driven cohort within the crypto ecosystem. And I think that's what's exciting and that's what's here to stay. But I'm glad that we're seeing algorithmic. Uh, you know, altcoins breaking down. I'm glad that we're seeing unsustainable lending schemes uh, breaking down. And I'm hopeful that what this ultimately leads to is regulation. The regulators set back for 10 years, let this speculative bubble inflate. And you know how it works. It takes a blow up. It takes a meltdown for us to finally do something about it and regulate it. So I think that is the moment that is ultimately going to be the best thing to happen for crypto for years to come is that regulation. So Mike, Mike mentioned that, you know, probably a lot of clients are asking about that. What else are clients asking you? Is it mainly inflation in the Fed or what else is top of mind for them in terms of worries or concerns? Yeah, it's it's obviously inflation. It's it's obviously recession hedging, and there is a pretty conservative element um, to how clients want to position right now. If speaking of structuring payoffs, a lot of clients are focused on you know maybe entering into the equity markets, but giving themselves some principal protection when they do. Um, a lot of clients are looking to volatilize this elevated volatility and convert that into sort of a income proxy. And once again, if you can sell a put option and collect that generous premium, that could give you a pretty nice income proxy as well. Um, and then, you know, the big theme that resonates with clients is that you've got to get paid while you wait. I think all of us acknowledge that we are in a difficult um, time frame. It's going to take a little while to work through this. But where can you get stability? Where can you get income in the portfolio? Because I mean, cash night pays you something, but inflation is still 8.3%. So, or 8.6%, I should say. So, how do you keep up with that? So, that's why ideas in private credit that may be yielding 8%. Uh, that's why ideas in real estate resonated really well with clients and, and continue to. So, bottom line is people want to be comfortable with their allocations right now. I mean, none of us feel great about the markets, but it doesn't mean that we can't feel comfortable with our portfolios. So it's about right-sizing the allocation, making sure you have staying power. And you know what? Making sure you have dry powder. Because we will have the moment in the market where we'll say this is a screaming buy and let's do increase our allocation sustainably. So um, so a combination of those you know, protection strategies, yield, and having the dry powder. That's what we have right now. You know, uh, Anastasia, it's funny. Our colleague, John Authors, uh, writes a column at the end of every year called Hindsight Capital. And, and it's an imaginary hedge fund that uh, invests with the power of hindsight. Uh, you know, in other words, he just looks back at the the, the beginning of the year and, and determines what did did the best uh, that year, and and you know writes a funny column about how. Oh, of course, he in, that's what they invested in. I have a feeling hindsight capital uh, is going to be like double, triple levered into commodities this year. So um, I'm I'm curious, you know, how you're thinking about commodities. Obviously you know, uh, energy, energy st equities and, and commodity linked equities uh, were uh, probably one of the only places to hide out this year and, and uh, you know, not lose money. H has that ship sailed, do you think? Um, or, or is there still sort of runway to get into commodities at this point? 
Well, you know, Mike, there's a big argument to be made that we're in a structural deficit of all sort of commodities. And it's true for food, it's true for wheat, it's true for, um, you know, gasoline, metals, lithium, you name it. Um, and I think while that's true, I think the most likely path for commodities right now is higher first, perhaps in the very near term, and then lower later, perhaps in mean, not too distant future. And I say this, in order to right-size and shift the supply-demand imbalance, what you really have to do is you, if you can't fix the supply side, then the demand has to come down. And, you know, the Fed is obviously trying to bring that demand down. And I think the prices and the Fed is not and if, if the Fed is not successful, then elevated prices, which has to do this. So for oil in particular, I think if oil prices surge another $20 a barrel or so, that will lead to more pronounced demand destruction. And then, you know, as the economic activity slows down, I think you see that demand destruction more and more. And so that's what's likely to bring down commodity prices. So. I don't know that it's the time to chase the upside uh, in commodities. Um, I think there are probably some places that you can make the case for, you know, longer term investment opportunity. If you think of something like lithium, for example, which, by the way, speaking of chasing it, it's up 400 uh, percent over the last year or so. Uh, but nevertheless, Electrical um, penetration in the United States is very low relative to Europe and China, for example, but there's a lot of catching up to do. That's where the world is headed. So I think you can make this case for some of these commodities, but not a blanket statement right now. And speaking of hindsight and looking back at the past six months of the year, obviously a lot has happened that many people weren't expecting to happen. We had Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we had persistently, persistently, persistently high inflation, et cetera, et cetera. I'm wondering what from the past six months you're taking with you in the for the next six months in terms of like lessons learned uh, and, and what to expect for the second half of the year. Yeah, it's a really great um, question. And I think the biggest lesson learned is over the last six months is that we can't apply the playbook of the last several years to the next six months or the next years. This is truly an unprecedented environment, um, you know, an 8.6% inflation print and inflation that's becoming entrenched in every single sector where you have supply chain challenges, not only now related to the pandemic and the kind of the overhang of the pandemic, but just related to the fact that we have not built enough capacity in the refining sector and the housing sector and so on and so forth. So in that environment where you have these imbalances, we can't just make blanket statements and assume that we're going to go back to exactly where we started before COVID. And so it is a little bit more nimble. It is a little bit more touch and go. And it is a more cautious approach uh, until we finally see that flattening out and the deceleration of inflation. So I guess the takeaway is um, don't apply the same playbook and you know don't, um, don't make a blanket assumption but just be more nimble in your portfolios. And I think, by the way, that's the takeaway for the Fed as well. Anastasia Amoroso, it's always such a treat to hear your insights uh, and your wisdom. We really appreciate your time. I have to say, though, I'm from Philadelphia. So every time I see your name, I think of the delicious Amoroso hoagie rolls uh, out of Philadelphia. I don't know if there's any relation there. but uh, There's no relation, but sounds like we should uh, have that on the podcast ne- next time. Yeah, they're the they, the top of the league table of hoagie rolls in the in the Philadelphia area. So a very a very distinguished name from where I come from. Amazing. <laughs> and what else is uh, distinguished uh, is not necessarily the segue I'm making, but what the heck, uh, I, I, that ship is sailed. Tried. But um, it's I tried Valdana. They're no, not always going to be good. home runs, you know. Most of the time, sometimes, they're not. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, the emphasis on some. Yep. Uh, Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. 
Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. As always, Voldad, I want to start with you uh, because I know you've spent hours, hours upon hours reading financial news in hopes of finding the craziest thing in markets for this week. What do I you do? What do you but got everything for us? this week was a little bit more on the serious side, so I actually had a little bit of trouble. But then I saw this NBC news story that really caught my eye. So we know that in crypto, you have a lot of, or actually outside of crypto, you have a lot of people calling crypto stuff you know fraudulent and scammy etc etc so there's this nbc news story no yes it happens but there's this nbc news story about anna delvey do you know who she is it rings a bell but no i can't place the name there's a netflix series based on her where she had been pretending to be an heiress a german heiress and she defrauded a lot of people and the netflix series is called inventing anna but anyway NBC spoke with her and she said she'd never encourage anybody to follow her footsteps. And at the same time, she unveiled an NFT collection. (laughs) So you, you, uh, NBC said, uh, you know, the infamous socialite minted 10 NFTs that will grant holders exclusive access to her, including one-on-one phone calls. So. Wow. I don't know about that. I, uh, boy. One-on-one phone calls, an NFT with embedded one-on-one phone calls. It's a brave, it's a brave new world. It's kind of like if if you made a cameo into an NFT, I guess, you know, those cameo appearances. I got to watch that show. I'm behind on my Netflix. Uh, I don't know. There's so many shows I've missed. I need, uh, I need the NBA playoffs. You're way behind if you've never heard of of this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, all these shows you guys talk about, I've never seen one of them. I'm, uh. I'm still on the Sopranos, <laughs> rewatching that. You're for the 30 years time. behind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about you, Anastasia? Have you seen anything crazy this week? Uh, this week, uh, there's been a lot of <laughs> plenty of crazy market <laughs> movements, but uh, I'm going to stick with crypto and you know what Vildano is mentioning. But you know, to me, the crazy thing is 
we've had the Celsius news. And, you know, anytime you get an offer to park your cash and earn at 18.5%, you kind of have to stop and ponder and think how and why. And is it, you know, is it solid? Is it bulletproof? Is it going to pay out? You know, what kind of credit risk you're taking? And what's really crazy to me is that some of the stuff that's been built in the crypto ecosystem harkens back to the 2008 era where just one assumption goes wrong and then everything goes uh, unwound. So to me, that's sort of crazy that we continue to get into some of these speculative bubbles, even though we've learned the lessons from the financial crisis, but perhaps we haven't. But once again, yeah. I guess that's what it takes to uh, for the regulators to step in and to make things better in the end. Now, there, I, the the uh, echoes of the financial crisis are are all over the place. You know, the whole notion of rehypothecation and and just counterparty risk that you don't even realize is there, and and it's just it's pretty remarkable. Um, so that's a good one. I like that. And I wonder, you know, I do think a lot of people probably piled into these these lending schemes without really appreciating the risk. But come on, how could you? How could you not? At least the sophisticated end of the business must have known that this is this is kind of a house of cards to, to some degree, but but they still they still chased it. Anyway, I am for once uh, going back to the traditional markets for my craziest thing, and it is uh, the energy market, the gasoline market. Uh, as we all know, gas prices have famously uh, risen above five dollars a gallon for the first time nationwide. California, of course, is famous for even higher gas prices uh, than that. However, what if I were to tell you, Vildana, that you could buy gasoline at one station in California for 69 cents a gallon? Would, would that make you want to drive all the way out to California to fill up your tank? Maybe? This sounds too good to be true. Well, indeed it was. And the, what happened, it's basically the equivalent of a gas station fat finger trade. Uh, the manager of the station meant to input a price of $6.99, but he got the decimal in the wrong place and put it up there for $0.69. Cents. Um, for whatever reason, and they don't explain it, this is a story courtesy of the website of CBS 13 Sacramento, and it's not quite clear why he didn't immediately fix it. Uh, but they began selling gas for 69 cents. Uh, for social media, caught wind of this. And soon there were lines, uh, deep lines uh, at this particular gas station. So of course, as you know, you can probably guess, I have to turn this into an episode of Pri The Price is Right right now. So I want you both to guess, how much do you think this fat-fingered gasoline pricing at this station cost the station before they were able to fix it. Should I go first? What do you think, Valdana? Okay, yes. so there was a deep line. He was losing a lot of money. He or she. I'll go with $20,000. I'm hoping 20, he fixed it really quickly, but he had to honor all the people on the line. That, that's probably true. Yeah, I think maybe that is the big, the big problem they face. How about you, Anastasia? How much do you think this costs this gas station? Oh, that's so tough. Um, I think with the uh, speed of social media, uh, somebody probably caught it pretty quickly. So I'll take the under. I'll I'll go fifteen. Fifteen, pretty good. You guys were both pretty pretty uh, close to the market. Sixteen thousand uh, dollars. Wow. Cost Anastasia this wins. gas station before they could finally. I, these does. are pretty good guesses. Yeah. <laughs> they were both pretty good guesses. I, I I don't know what I would have guessed, um, which is sort of the privilege I have as the host of Crazy Things, What Goes Up, Prices Right. Version. So they did have to honor yeah. the people in line? They did. And the, the gas station manager got fired. And I guess the his families, they're worried about uh, him getting sued even, even though I guess there's he probably won't legally be able to get sued for a mistake like this, but they've started a GoFundMe to recoup the $16,000 and hopefully get this guy his job back. So uh, pretty costly era. And anyway, some people got 69 cent gas. So there's, there's a silver lining to it. Anyway, I think that is all the time we have. Anastasia Amoroso, always a pleasure. Uh, hopefully we can uh, trick you into coming back and uh, playing Prices Right again sometime. Let's play this again. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be back. Thank you for joining us.
What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.